greet you tonight in the worthy name of Jesus. Again, the only one who is worthy. The one who died for our sins. That we can be here tonight, and not only here tonight, but here with peace. I am going to maybe solve a mystery in some of your minds a little bit tonight. I've been noticing little children staring at the left side of me in the back. And usually I do this before the fifth evening. But some of you have noticed that I'm not all there. And I haven't been for over 29 years now. Uh, I got my hand in a saw when I was 16 years old. I barely have memories of life before it. So when I wave my hand around, I don't even think about it, and I don't think about how it looks, especially to little children. So I'm sorry if you've been battling questions at home this week, but now you can tell them. And you can also tell them that it's been positive in my life, not negative. It's been positive in my life, not negative. God is so good. He's been so much better to me than I deserve. Well, I trust you've been praying, maybe especially tonight. I feel such a need of prayer. I have a subject that I feel God has laid on my heart tonight that is a heavy subject. I've referred to it a couple times this week, and I wish somehow as I came to church tonight, as I pondered, meditated, I wish somehow to convey the seriousness of this message, this topic, to all of our hearts. And it's a subject that uh, many people have trampled over lightly. And many other people that love the Lord have fallen into sin in this area. And I wish again tonight that we could just somehow get a vision, get a grip of the fact that God sees every part of our heart. There have, been, there have been men and women sitting in your stage of life, youth, and the message is not just for the youth at all, it's just as much for me. But there have been men and women sitting in your stage in life knowing that this is not right, but thinking, you know what, I think I'll be okay, or, or maybe next week, or you know what, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up yet, or I'm not ready, I'm not sure that I'm ready for people to know about my battles in this area. And it, the roots keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and somebody reminded me last night, we talked about bitter roots last night, somebody reminded me afterwards, Get those roots when they're little. How many of you have helped take weeds out of gardens? I figure we all have, and it's a lot more fun to take them out when they're this big than when they're this big, and you tug and pull, and you know how frustrating it is. All at once, the stalk breaks off, and the roots stay right where they were. And that same weed, if it would have been gotten at this size, would have come up easily. So remember that tonight. Don't let these roots, and this is not bitter roots tonight. It's, an, it's a root of a different kind. Again, I'd like to just briefly think about the theme of the week, the keys of the kingdom. They're in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Tonight, I'd like to think of something. 
You know, we've kind of thought about positives tonight, but tonight I'd like to think about a little bit of a negative, or maybe not a negative, but, but something that brings us to reality. Keys denote responsibility to fulfill the will of and be of the character of the one that, is at, that has asked us, or the one that has given us the key. Boy, I butchered that one. Keys denote responsibility to fulfill the will of and be of the character that is asked of us by the one who gives us the key. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever been fired from a job, and, and thankfully I've never had to do that. It's not a pleasant experience. But friends, if somebody gives us a key to a building and says, you know, you're now free to go do your job, they expect us to abide by the rules that are within that building, that are within that company. Or they can ask for the key back. My mind went, as I studied this, it went to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 28, where the Bible says, And Samuel said unto him, and he's talking about Saul. Samuel had come to Saul, and, and of course we should have probably touched on this this week, but we haven't. But Samuel came to Saul, and Saul acts all spiritual, and acts like he had done everything God wanted him to do. And, and Samuel says, well, you know what, it, it just doesn't seem like you have. Well, what's this sound I hear? And, and Saul goes on this long road there, and, and finally Samuel tells him, Samuel said unto him, The Lord rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Friends tonight, and by the way, thank you for the songs. Thank you for the devotional. They, they fit right into this. I, I enjoyed those songs so much because they, they were the two elements of what God laid on my heart for this message. It's talking about strength and it was talking about surrender. God of our strength enthroned above and deeper with Jesus. And that's the only way we're going to be victorious over this topic we have before us tonight. But God told Saul there, Samuel, God told Saul through Samuel there that he's taken the kingdom from him and he's given it to a neighbor of his that is better than him. And friends, tonight I think there ought to be a gripping factor for us that if we ignore the, the mandates, the precepts, the things that God has put in his word, one day it's going to be forever too late. And the opportunities that he gave us are going to be history. They're going to be past. I'd like to think about tonight the fact that we must have a reference point or a reason for placing the tremendous amount of emphasis on this as that we do. And it's simply found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where the Bible says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if I, can just, if I can just somehow get that message through to all of us tonight, that we need to be on that path of holiness. Now, have I arrived where God wants me to be? No. I still have a long way to go, and you'll probably hear about some of that tonight. But friends, that doesn't change the fact that God said we're to be holy as he is holy. He wants his people to be holy as he is holy. And holy has the idea of physically pure or morally blameless. Physically pure or morally blameless. It's a subject that in society is flaunted and lightly thrown around with little regard to sacredness. And friends, tonight, if there's ever an area that we need to be separate in, and I'm talking about separate in a very, very real and powerful way through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his power, we need to be separate in this area because this is so rampant out in the world. And you know what? The sadness, and this is what grips me tonight, it isn't much better in the church.
I'd like to think tonight about purity in personal life. Purity in personal life. And I believe the enemy is determined to get us to fall. And it just gripped me again. We referred to some people earlier this week that have fallen in this very area. And you know what? The one of them, especially the one at least, would get up and preach sermons about being pure. And violate the very message. And friends, tonight I have heard statements that are starting to trouble me. And I understand where they're coming from. There's youth that are saying, you know what? If half of the pastors in the United States have fallen in this area, what hope is there for me? Or there's attitudes of comparison. Well, you know what? I realize that I'm not perfect, but none of us are. But look, I mean, look at how much better I am than so-and-so. I mean, all I have, all I'm doing is, you know, it's, it's largely, it's, it's actually not really hurting anybody. I just have a little bit here. Look at so-and-so. Look at how much worse they are. And friends, tonight, again, I just urge you and encourage you, if there's roots, if they're just little roots, rejoice and tear them out. By the grace and power of Jesus Christ, by the power of God, tear them out. Friends, I, I know way too many stories of people that we respected, people that we thought could never fall. But friends, none of us here tonight, I don't care who it is. Brother Jerry said he's probably the oldest one here. I don't know, there's, there's younger ones here. There's, there's so many different age groups here, so many varieties here. But none of us is exempt in this area. It's a very, very heavy subject. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, where the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And let's turn back to the Old Testament of Proverbs chapter 7. And there's something there that that I believe will instruct us as well. Proverbs chapter 7. It's such a pertinent warning for our day, and it was written so many years ago. And I conclude that people were not so much different back then. But Proverbs chapter 7, verses 22 to 27, it says, He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. And friends, tonight there's a phrase here that grips me. Solomon wrote by inspiration, he wrote, many strong men. Sometimes we say messages like this and warnings like this and things that we put out there, accountability and working with people and encouraging them to find strength and victory in God. Sometimes we say it's kind of for the youth or the weak and the immature, but Solomon said many strong men and we don't have to think too hard or look around too long to know exactly what he was talking about. Many strong men have been slain by her. And you know the common theme between Proverbs 7 and James, where we just read a little bit earlier, the common theme is death. 
And if you and I are going to deal with this problem with comparison or with hopelessness, like, well, what's hope for me? Look at what everybody else is doing. If that's the way we're going to deal with it, friends, I'm sorry, but, it, but it's going to end up in death. Sometime we have to make a break. Sometime we have to beg God and ask God for victory in this. And the end result of unconfessed lust and sexual sin will always be death. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And think about tonight, I just want to impress on our hearts from the word of God the seriousness that Jesus put on this, the seriousness that Solomon put on this, the seriousness that James put on this. It, there, there are messages about this all through the Bible. They made it very, very serious in Galatians 5.19. It talks about the works of the flesh, and it says they're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The, the works of the flesh are introduced with the sins of lust and impurity, and there's four of them right there. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, we're just going to look at some different passages in the New Testament here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, there's also a warning there. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Again, it brings out this kind of sin so, so clearly. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to read the first 20 verses there. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which are of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commandeth, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou, after, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You see, it's not going to work to compare. It's not going to work to say, well, you know what? We're just doing what they're doing. We're doing what they're saying. No, it says if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into the ditch. We need to follow the word of God. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart, and listen to this again, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And I'd like to think about it tonight. I believe there's seven that he lists there. Three out of the seven, almost 50%, have to do with the thought life, have to do with moral purity. 
You think this was important to Jesus? Absolutely. And if it's not going to be important to the church of Jesus Christ, which unfortunately it hasn't been, but I'm going to take it down a lot further yet, if it's not going to be important to us as individuals, as, as boys and girls or youth boys and youth girls, and as men and women that love Jesus Christ, then we're never going to have the revival that God wants. I wonder how many times revival has been stymied because people were caught in these things and it's easier than ever to hide them. You can do it at home in your closet. You can do all kinds of things and hide all kinds of things. And I wonder how often revival has been stymied because people refuse to get rid of this sin in their life. And the roots get deeper and deeper and deeper. And all at once we read a headline or we get a call. Hey, did you hear about so and so? And we wonder, well, I wonder how that happened. And it may have been building up for years and years and years. There's a powerful lesson here on being honest and transparent and not trying to hide things we think are hidden. Friends, I think it is so despicable to God. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he, he told the Pharisees, he said, don't try to make the outside look good, good, even because the inside isn't good. Now, he didn't tell them to just make the outside look bad. Absolutely not. But he wanted to get the inside cleaned up so that both line up. And that's the only way we're ever going to survive. We must come a holy life. When, when God said, be ye holy as I am holy, it must come from a heart that is pure. A heart that is pure. And we're not going to get that with so much of what's going on today. These videos and these pictures and, and even articles and things that are flying around with off-color jokes. And we kind of chuckle and then realize we shouldn't, so we're First John 1 says, walk in the light as he is in the light. Sin will fester in the dark. You keep things in the dark and it's going to grow and fester and get bigger and bigger. But you know what? When you bring things to the light, they're exposed and they can be gotten rid of. How many of you have ever swept a house that was dark? It'd be pretty difficult. But you turn on the light and the dirt is very obvious. Let's not be those that draw nigh with the mouth, but our hearts are far from him. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a glimpse into my personal journey tonight. Not drawn out. This is not what's important. But I'll give you just a little bit of a glimpse into my personal journey. I grew up in an Amish setting. I'm in no way trying to bash or despise the Amish. I have a good relationship with them today. I know people within the group that are born again and saved and have been an encouragement and a blessing to me. But I will say there was plenty of youth boys around, people to introduce me to things that I should have never been introduced to. And I'll tell you, those things had a grip on my life. These areas of lust and impurity that helped set me on a path that if it were not for the love and mercy of God tonight, I would be far from here, you can guarantee it. These areas kept me gripped so tightly that there was a time as a young Christian, and this I remember this so well, there was a time as a young Christian, I wondered if I could ever be free. I wondered if I could ever be free, and I'm going to say this tonight, please take this correctly. I'm glad I didn't have a smartphone in my pocket. 
Now, don't misread me. Our children have smartphones. I have a smartphone. But I'm glad at that time and stage in my life with my mindset that I did not have a smartphone in my pocket, and not just because of the purity issues, but because of the distraction issues. You realize how often I had to cry out in song and in scripture and crying out to God for mercy. And I say that to parents, let's, let's be aware, let's be careful, let's pay attention. I wondered if victory was really possible. And friends, there was, there was scripture verses, and I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read a couple scripture verses. There were scripture verses tonight that became my lifeline. They were such a blessing to me. I especially remember the one in 1 Corinthians 6, which we'll read in a little. But Romans chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign under, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And friends, what wonderful promises in this verse where it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Satan wants to take our minds. He wants to bring us to despair and say, you know what? There's no hope for you, but I'm here tonight to say there is hope. There is absolute hope because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And look through Romans sometimes. We're not going to take the time tonight to turn to them. But there's verses that talk about the fact that you've yielded your members, you've yielded your body to things of sin. Now yield them to Jesus Christ and see what happens. That promise is every bit as powerful and alive right now as it was when the Apostle Paul wrote it. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, this was one of the verses that helped me so tremendously much. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. These became such lifelines, and tonight I'd like to just talk to you as youth a little bit. Because I realize you, many of you have grown up in a very different setting than I grew up. And I'm sure you would say tonight, and your parents would say tonight, it hasn't been perfect. But I'm sure also tonight many of you have been taught and this is the plea I want to put out there tonight. We need youth that are strong, that, that know what it means to get victory in this area, and that can help others to that victory. We need youth that are strong. We need youth that know what it means to walk in victory and freedom. That know what happens when this, this lust, you know, James described it so well. He said, don't say you're tempted of God. You're tempted when you're drawn away of your own lust. And you're enticed. It looks pleasurable. It looks good. You're drawn away of that lust. We need youth that know what it's like to say no. And may I say this tonight as well. We need young ladies who ask themselves whether appearance and conduct is modest. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing men's problems. I've talked so much about men that have fallen. I'm not excusing that at all. But will ladies be guiltless? If they have not paid attention to what God says, we're supposed to pay attention to. You know what he says? He says when somebody sees you, it shouldn't be the outward appearance they see, but the hidden man of the heart Jesus Christ. 
What about YouTube? What about when you're watching something perfectly legitimate but over here along the side and I don't have to describe it very long? There's things that a Christian has no business seeing. Would you let others browse through your pictures on your phone and your computer? I'll tell you a little personal story right now. I know a youth boy who was sitting beside an adult married man. The man had kind of turned, he was there on his phone, unaware that everything was being seen in the window right behind him. Our youth don't need it. None of us need it for that matter. But it was filth. You know what? If God exposes dark corners in your and my heart, it's for our favor. We don't want those exposed on the day of judgment. Absolutely not. We want them exposed right now to where they're taken care of. And if you have no concern, maybe you say, well, you know what? I don't battle. I don't struggle. I don't even have any problems. And so I don't, I don't need to really be careful. Is that going to prove a safe route for somebody else? We're, we're called to be examples. We're not only called to live lives that are upright, but we're called to be examples. And tonight I say, I believe you will only do it, we will only do it as we commit ourselves to purity. To purity. Now, I believe as we do that and as we help others find victory, it'll strengthen us as well, Absolutely. But I wonder tonight, there's another question I wonder. Remember the first song, God of our strength enthroned above? How much strength of God is in your life? And we talked about spreadsheets. Here's another one. If you could, and we talked about this the other night. I'm just going to zero in on it again. If you, could, if you could focus on your time spent with technology and your time spent in devotional life, you know, I wonder how often youth that have struggled in this area have been asked, well, how's your devotional life? And their heads hang. I don't think I have to describe it too clearly because I think people know. God of our strength. We must have that strength. We're not going to make it without. Is my battle over? No. God has given me areas of victory that I rejoice in tonight, but my battle isn't over, especially not in the mind. And I'd like to focus the rest of the message, or most of it at least, on the battle of the mind. And I've entitled what I have to share in this part, The Mind, the Filter of Our Heart. The Mind, the Filter of Our Heart. And think a little bit with me tonight about the mind. I was just, I was impressed about this recently. You know how the first computers were as big as some rooms and, and you know, they could barely hold anything. And today, you can get something on a little card that I could just slip into pockets and, and lose it and that holds much, much more than those computers held back then. But I thought, just don't try to impress God with that. 
Because 6,000 years ago, he took, and I know it looks a little funny with my hand like this, but if I understand right, the human brain is about the size of two fists. And he put it, somebody told me this recently, that, that they heard he would take a computer the size of the Empire State Building to capture the human mind, or human brain, and I don't think they could even do it then. I think there'd be key elements missing. God did it 6,000 years ago. And not only that, but the thing that holds it all together is intangible. How many, how many people's minds have you seen? It's intangible. It's incredible. In Genesis 2-7, the Bible says, And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Isn't it wonderful? And Elihu, speaking in the book of Job, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And I don't know, man may come up, can probably come up with an almost exact replica of the human body, but there's a secret man will never discover. The songwriter said it and said it well when he said, God holds the germ within his hand. Let's think a little bit about the mind. In the New Testament, the words translated mind all have to do with understanding thought, reason. The mind and the heart and soul are closely related. But remember that verse that we quoted? There's, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Jesus quoted it in the New Testament. But it said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. These are intangible things. These are things that people can't see. It doesn't say we're supposed to love God with all our brain. No, we're supposed to love God with all our mind with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our strength. And you know what? Tonight, one of the most difficult things that man faces, and this is not just in the area of moral purity, but one of the most difficult things man faces is the things that I've put here. Now, how am I supposed to forget? And on top of that, I believe the devil specializes in trying to get us to add details and, and imagination. You know, we, we, we'll probably look at that verse a little bit later about imagination. We looked at it last night, I believe. But he tries to get us to imagine things. And you know what? Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28. Jesus said something that's so significant. He was, he was introducing something new here. Because in the Old Testament, it was being said, well, you know what? If, if you do this, if, if we see you do this, then that means this. But he said, it goes beyond that. He said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And friends, tonight we cannot get around that. And that leads us to our first point. But I'd like to just think, and years ago I related to a man that, was, that told me he had mind battles, and I don't think he ever got rid of those mind battles, and all at once, years later, I was shocked one night to find out something because it had gone from the mind to the actions, and that's, gonna, that, that's the way it happens. If tonight we don't take care of the problem in the mind, it ends up in actions, and we don't want that. But it has to start with taking care of the mind, and I wonder, are we really prone to a constant battle with wrong thoughts, and thought patterns. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Or has anybody else ever asked you that question? I've heard versions of that question. Are we really prone to constant thought battles? Battles in our thoughts and wrong thoughts. Are we really prone to it? 
And I believe, as always, God's word holds the answers if we're willing to obey. Now, is it easy? No. Have I got it all figured out? No. But I believe God's word holds the answer. I'd like to think about five principles of the function of a filter. And the first one is, and we've already referred to this, but the condition of our filter is determined by our spiritual life. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshy, fleshly. The condition of our filter is determined by our spiritual life. And I wonder, remember the story we referred to from 1 Samuel chapter 17 the other evening, a very familiar story about David and Goliath? Where that story unfolds there and Goliath says you don't have a chance. And you remember what David said? He said he doesn't have a chance. You know why? Because David was in the camp of the Lord. David was doing God's will. Saul was doing his own will. He was defying the armies of God. And that same thing still holds true today when David said he has no chance. And if our spiritual life is not what it should be, we have no chance. Now, that doesn't mean at all we can't get it to where it needs to be with God's help and with repenting and turning to Jesus Christ. But we can't do it with a wrong, weak spiritual life. We won't do it. It won't work. So when's the last time you examined your spiritual life? I believe it's so, so important. Is there pride there? Is there lust and greed? Is there worldliness? Is there unbelief? Is there laziness? Is there poor devotional life? What's really there? God expects us to do our part in repenting of any known areas of sin because you know how it works. Have you ever worked on a problem that had gone on to another problem that had gone on to another problem that had gone on to another problem and the only way to fix it? Some of you have probably fixed foundations in houses and you know what? To just sand that floor down that, that is now buckled about two inches isn't going to take care of the problem. You've got to go much deeper and you've got to take care of the root problem and it might be all the way down at the foundation. There needs to be something that needs to be fixed first because weak areas in one place affect areas in other places. And God expects us to pay attention to our spiritual life and I wonder how often we've been frustrated in this area of purity but because we haven't been spiritually what God wants us to be. And he expects us to do our part in a conscience leaning on him and trusting him. Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, so critical. The condition of our filter is determined by our spiritual life. And you know what? If we open that little plastic cover or whatever that gets the filter, we pull it out and it's all rusty and brown, and we stick it back in, you know what? You're going to end up with water just like you've had. God can replace the filter. Isn't that wonderful? Number two, filters must be installed at the beginning of where a mix of materials enters. Now, this is not mixed materials from two different sources, or from the same source, but rather from different sources. And you and I have to do with that. You and I, you know, there's a battle. That's what these mind battles are all about. We know what we should do, but we also know what our flesh wants to do. 
And that filter must be installed right there where there's a battle going on. We know what we should do spiritually, but there's another battle going on. James, remember James, those verses we read there where it talks about the fact that every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It all started with desires, and that's where I believe we must start tonight. In Matthew 15, in essence, Jesus told them, you don't understand what's important. The filter needs to be at the mind and heart level, not on the hands You know, these Pharisees had it so backwards. They had hearts that were black. They had hearts that were not right with God. And they said, well, you know what? There's a problem. They're not washing their hands before they eat. Jesus said, you don't understand. You don't understand. And I believe the moment we come into contact, whether physically or imagining, is the time for the filter to kick in. So, so important. And tonight, I'd, li- I'd just like to encourage you. I believe accountability has its place. That's sometimes kind of a buzzword in our circles. And I believe it has its place. I believe individual accountability has its place. I believe group accountability has its place. But friends, they're not going to work unless they're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe we must, must have it. And you know... What do we do when we get into these things? Do we cry out to God? Do we quote scripture? Do we sing? Do we contact someone? You know what? I've gotten texts. They've been very short and to the point. Brother, could you pray for me? I don't even always know what's going on, but absolutely I can pray for you. And I want to do the same thing when I'm in in problems. This is not something to keep hidden. This is not something to say, well, you know what? I think it's going to be okay. No. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Number three, our enemy knows the weak areas of our filter. And this was one of my battles in life. The enemy knows the weak areas of our filter. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you know what? You can count on it. When there's weak areas, he'll know it. He'll know it. The Bible also says in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there's filters with ignored weak areas. They become less and less and less effective. The enemy knows the weak areas of our filter, and it works like that in our mind as well. Maybe areas we previously gave into and the enemy is determined if it worked once, it'll work again. And that brings to mind a story that happened years ago. We took care of turkeys on a turkey farm and, and we kind of had some problems there. That There had been some, some blocks that got knocked out of the way and they had been kind of roughly fixed and the door put back and everything. But all at once we were having problems with skunks in the house. So there was a battle between the skunks and I. And I still remember looking out and seeing this skunk. It's kind of a fitting description when we talk about sin, isn't it? But this skunk had gotten in before and now had done some more shoring up and I had put rocks there and this skunk was determined. Sure, I can get back in here because I did it before. But you know what? It was blocked. And God can do the very same thing for us. It's not going to work in laziness. It's not going to work in haphazardness. 
but with a diligence and with a crying out to God, he can do the very same thing for us. Number four, the filters must get rid of the bad. They must get rid of the bad. You know what? The Bible tells us that we're to, we're to um, and I can't quite get the verse right now, but we're, we're to refrain or we're to stay away from all appearance of evil and filters must get rid of the bad. We cannot think somehow, well, I'll just kind of put this, put this somewhere here and, and I'm just going to quit using it. No, that'll never work. We must get rid of the bad. We must get rid of the thoughts. We must ask God to cleanse us from those thoughts. Cry out to him. Fill our minds with things that will help crowd those things out. You know what? If, if you had explosives in your house and you just kind of haphazardly stacked them around, well, you know what? We can easily get around them. Someday there's going to be a problem. You need to have a diligence. You need to have a, a, a desire. Cry out to God. Help me. Set me free. Help me to get rid of this bad. Because filters must have some way of getting rid of the bad, of removing it. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, it says, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's a destroying. It's, when God gets a hold of something, it's, it, it takes care of it. Let's, let's turn back there to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'd like to read those verses. We, I believe we read the verse the one evening. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, or maybe the first five verses, I believe it is. Where it says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You want a verse that you can quote? You want a verse that you can go to when you think about filters? The Bible talks here about the fact that we're to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Christ can give us a tremendous victory here. And I remember a time not too many years ago, I'm not sure how many years it's been, when I discovered there was a weakening going on in my life in this area because I didn't hate those problems that the devil was, gonna, was trying to trip me up on enough. The Bible says we're to take captivity every thought. That there's tremendous power in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Is there a lesson for us in Genesis 3 that Eve was willing to enter into dialogue with the serpent? And you know what? In this area, I don't know. At times it seems like it's a fall and then victory and then fall and then victory. I don't think that's God, what God wants for us. He wants us to have that, that diligence, that, that desire for us to, to be rid of it in the, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 13, it talks about the fact that there's an armor. There's something that we can take on. Verse 11 says, But put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what? The Bible talks often about the fact that he's, he's determined to get us. And, and another place it says, but For we're not 
ignorant of his devices. We know what he's trying to do. And the Bible here says we're to put on the whole armor of God and, and look about look sometime what it means. It covers so much of what we looked at tonight about devotional life, about the word of God, about applying these things to your life. We're to put on the whole armor of God. And in verse 13 it says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There is no room for laziness. It's not going to work. And number five, and finally, the end result must be a steady flow of clear, pure water. And just because this is number five, just because this is the last point, don't think it's any less important because I think it is so important. You housewives here this evening, I don't think if there was a problem where you opened the faucet and nothing came, and the plumber came and he said, okay, I got it fixed. And you open the faucet and this muddy water comes out. I don't think you'd be happy at all. So he comes back, oh, I know what I did. And he fixes it and now you open the faucet and it's clear water, but it's just barely trickling. He's going to have to come right back, isn't he? The end result must be a steady flow of clear, pure water. And I ask you tonight, I ask all of us, I ask myself that question first of all, is the water of God, is Jesus Christ flowing freely in my life? Is there power in my life? Am I finding power when I go out into society, when I'm in checkout lines and there's things that our eyes have no business seeing, when I'm on the computer and there's things all around beckoning for my attention? Is the water, is the pure, clear water of Jesus Christ flowing in my life? John chapter 4, verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Friends, we need it so desperately. We're not going to get rid of this problem until that power of Jesus Christ, the water of the word, is flowing in our life. The Bible also tells us that we're not to be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus Christ I lift him up tonight as the answer to this problem. And I, I realize that may sound simplistic and it takes a lot more explaining. But friends, we need the power of Jesus Christ. We need that water flowing in our life to be free from this problem. And I wonder tonight, what's the condition of our mind, our heart, our life? Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven tonight... We bow before you, and we thank you for those words from John 4 we just read, where Jesus said he's the water of life. Help us to understand how desperately we need that power of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. Thank you for the verse read in the opening from 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood and was victorious for all of our sins. Lord, tonight we realize this is a subject where so many have fallen and have made shipwreck. And today the results are so detrimental. And I pray tonight, if there's anybody here tonight that knows they have unconfessed sin, they have this battle that just keeps going and going and going, that they would be honest before you tonight. Lord, we realize that the battle is not easy, the battle is difficult, but we also realize that, that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, that your power 
is all-encompassing, and it can set us free. So we give you praise and honor and glory, and we commit the rest of this evening to you for your glory. In Jesus' name.